Let me ask you now to take your Bibles with you, would you please, and turn with me to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to look at just two verses this morning, probably somewhat familiar verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, but first let's pray and ask for God's help. Just like we've just sung, we need it. So let's pray. Lord, as we come once again to this moment, not just in our Sunday morning, but in our week, where we listen to you, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear. As you give us instruction in your word this morning, Lord, I pray we would take it into our hearts, take it oh so seriously. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith and out of that would come an obedience that is pleasing to you. And so, God, we pray, just very simply, help us hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been considering uh, on the Sunday mornings here at the beginning of 2021 what we've been calling anchors for the Christian life. Places in our living of the Christian life where there needs to be this firm, solid anchoring for how we live, things that we're locked into, things that we are deeply committed to. A few weeks back now, on the first Sunday of the year, we talked about the anchor of reading our Bibles and enjoying God. We considered together the importance of spending time in and delighting in God's Word as a way to actually spend time with God and delight in Him, knowing Him and loving Him. And then on the following Sunday, we set the anchor of going after godliness, training ourselves, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, training ourselves for godliness, making it our purpose and our priority to use all of the available means of grace to pursue, to actively pursue godliness in our lives, to put away worldliness and to not just enjoy God, but to go after being like Him. And we saw how God's grace is what brings that about, what He's done for us in Christ and what He's promised to be doing for us in our lives and in the future. Last week we took a little break and we were just wonderfully refreshed from Psalm 27. If you by chance haven't heard that message, I'd really encourage you to listen to it. It will feed your soul. But now, this morning, I want us to consider a third anchor together. Another thing that needs to be just very solidly and firmly set in our lives, and it has to do with how we relate to one another as fellow Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow Christ followers, especially within the local church, how we are alongside one another as we live our lives of following Jesus. And that anchor is found in a phrase that we see multiple times in the Bible. Three simple words. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Christian, listen, make sure 
that this is not just kind of randomly present in your life, but something you are committed to, something that is set solidly and firmly in place, something anchored in. I mean, this is, this is so important for you and for those around you. The Bible teaches that surviving and thriving in the life of following Jesus depends on Christians intentionally encouraging one another. I mean, listen to what Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there are, there are actually many places that we see these words in the Bible, but there's something particularly helpful and useful here in Hebrews 10. So I want to focus our attention here this morning, but let me start first with a little story. I'm aware of a situation where a man, a believer, had been promised a position of influence in an organization, considerable influence. And so he began to order his life and his thinking uh, with that future position in mind, but as time passed, uh, nothing seemed to be happening. And so he began to doubt whether it was going to happen. In fact, he began to doubt himself. In fact, he even began to doubt God. And as time went on, it wasn't just that the position didn't materialize, but powerful people within the organization turned on him such that he had to actually remove himself and literally get away for his own protection. But there was one faithful friend in that organization who went and sought him out at considerable risk to himself. And he came to this man and he spoke to him and helped him find strength. He put hope and renewed courage in his heart. He encouraged him. Now, maybe you recognize that story. It's the story of David and Jonathan. Jonathan going to David out there in the wilderness and speaking to him, reminding him of truth. You will be the king. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and it is, I think, one of the most powerful examples of what I want us to think about together this morning, what God's Word wants to put deeply in our hearts, this call to... Encourage one another. Maybe you'll recall from the message last Sunday those words at the end of Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. You hear that? Let your heart take courage. So many times God calls us in his word to have courage. In the Psalms, uh, in the New Testament letters, so many times to particular individuals, I think about God's words to Joshua after Moses died. Three times he said to him in chapter 1 of Joshua, be strong and have courage. Take courage. It's clear God wants us as his people to have courage, and we need it. If we're going to actually live for him, if we're going to actually be Christ followers in this world, and you know this, courage is not something we can just drum up. 
God is the one who actually supplies what is necessary for us to have courage. And the major way he does that, at least from what I can see in my Bible, the main way that God gets courage into our hearts and helps us to take courage is through the encouragement of other believers. Encourage one another, God says. And he says it over and over again throughout the Bible. And that's exactly what we see here in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I want to, this morning, just ask two very simple questions. What and why? What is biblical encouragement? What's the content of it? How do we actually do it? And why? Why is it so important? Why does this Encouraging one another need to be a solidly fixed anchor that we need to make sure is firmly set in our lives for this coming year. Well, first, what? What are we really talking about when we speak of biblical encouragement? What is Hebrews 10.25 talking about when it speaks of biblical encouragement? Well, let me just suggest a definition of what's being talked about here. Biblically speaking, encouragement is speaking truth to someone and by so doing, helping that person to live their lives in accordance with that truth. Biblically speaking, encouragement is not just saying nice things to people. It's speaking truth and by so doing, helping someone, strengthening someone. You're, you're putting courage in them. You're building faith in them. You're stirring up hope in them. As a result of your speaking, your encouragement, something has been placed in that person that wasn't there before. That's what the word encouragement in Hebrews 10.25 literally means. It means to be alongside someone to help them. Now, the truth that we speak is primarily truth about God, about who He is and about what He's doing and about what He's promised to do, speaking, reminding someone of reality, of truth about God. There's a little hint of that here in that phrase, meeting together, in verse 25. The main thing that should happen when Christians meet together, and we see this over and over again in Scripture, both by precept and by example. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. The main thing that happens when we meet, when we meet together is that we together hear truth about God, who He is and what He is doing for us and what He has done for us and what He's promised. That truth being spoken so we can all be encouraged. But it doesn't just happen in formal teaching. Listen, I am a great believer in preaching, and it's not just because it's my job. But I have absolutely no illusions that preaching is by itself enough in the life of a Christian or in the life of a church. Obviously, it's hugely important, but there also needs to be a more personal, more mutual encouraging in which we all participate And the fact is, that can happen, and it does happen, and it should happen regularly here as we meet together. This is actually what Paul is talking about in 
in his letter to the Ephesians when he says, do you remember this phrase, speak the truth in love to one another? That is not, that is not a reference to kind of making tough observations about things that need to change in other people's lives. You know, well, I'm just telling you the truth, just speaking the truth to you. No, that is, speaking the truth in love is speaking truth about God to another person because you love them. Now, can that be forced? Artificial sometimes? Sure. I mean, I've been in conversations like that. My goodness, I've contributed to conversations like that. I'm sure I've created conversations like that. But I've also been in conversations, and I'm guessing you have too, when it has been deeply, deeply encouraging to be reminded of something about God that is true. Usually it's with one person. Usually it grows naturally out of some real-life situation. I think about that wonderful story, Pilgrim's Progress, with Christian on his journey, meeting up with Hopeful, and how they talked with one another along the way, reminding one another of the promises of God and reminding one another of where they were headed, encouraging each other to keep going. So encouragement is speaking truth about God and by so doing, strengthening someone, putting courage in someone to keep steady on, living for him. But encouragement can also be speaking truth about the person, what is true of them because of God. I think about Jonathan and David. God had chosen David to be king, and Jonathan knew that about David. And there were things that God was doing in David's life that were hard for David to see, but Jonathan could see it. And so he spoke to David, telling him things that he saw God doing in David's life. I I have a very distinct memory. This is many years ago now, probably 17, 18 years ago, I'm sitting on the side of the bed of one of my children. And this particular child is struggling, very aware of some sin in their life, burdened by it. And in the midst of that conversation, I said, almost in an offhand way, almost, I said, but I see God doing good things in you. And this child just went quiet, and their face changed. And then this child said, really, Daddy? And for the next 10 minutes or so, I had the sweet privilege of encouraging one of my own children by speaking truth about them, things that were true because of who God is and what God was doing in their life, and it was evidently encouraging. We can do that for one another. Now, obviously... This is a place to be careful, to be very wise. Listen, flattery and exaggeration are not helpful. But the fact is, God is at work in every believer's life, and where he is at work, there are things happening, things that are true, that it is often hard for that person himself or herself to see or to believe. I mean, certainly, if nothing else, we can say to a fellow believer, You are loved and accepted by God through the merit of Jesus. 
and you are blessed by God every day through the merit of Jesus. Nothing you do will cause, you to, cause him to love you any more or any less than he already does. He loves you strictly by his grace given to you through Jesus. Now, I'm just quoting Jerry Bridges there, but it's a wonderful truth about a Christian, and it could be a hugely encouraging and timely reminder. So what is encouragement? It is speaking truth to someone, truth about God, truth about them because of God, and by so doing, putting courage, putting faith, putting hope in someone, and therefore helping them to continue on in their following of Jesus. And we should be looking, like all the time, for opportunities to do this. Maybe God puts somebody on your heart. This happens to me all the time. Pay attention. Maybe it's just paying attention in the conversations and interactions that you're in. Encourage one another, God says. Encourage one another. But now, question number two. Why? Why is this so important? Why, Pastor Mike, are you naming this as one of four anchors to start off the year? Well, the first obvious answer is we all need it. I mean, every one of us needs it. I need encouragement. I do. You need encouragement. You do. I probably don't need to tell you that. We are all, every one of us, vulnerable creatures susceptible to discouragement. I mean, there are, there are forces operating in our lives. The world is subjected to frustration, Romans chapter 8 tells us. And so things go wrong, and that can be discouraging. Um, we are frail, and so we fail, and that can be discouraging. People can be unkind, even cruel sometimes. That, that can be discouraging. I mean, just let your eyes go down to verse 32 of this same chapter. Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Or look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Or look down in that same chapter to verse 12, Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I mean, all of those things, opposition, our own sin, just raw weariness. I mean, who of us can't relate and so the first answer to the why question is because we need it. Given who we are and given what living in this world is like, we need it. But there, there's another answer to the why question. And, and for this, I just I want us to together kind of back up for a moment and enlarge the frame. Why should we encourage one another? Well, it's because our lives matter. Your life means something. It's about something. It's headed somewhere. Our lives are actually about something bigger than just the here and the now. Something is at stake. So it matters how we live and how we, what we live for. And so courage and encouragement become 
very important to help us live. And that is where a little phrase in these verses becomes so helpful in clarifying. Look at verse 25 again. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I I want us to just camp out on that phrase in our remaining time. Inside of that phrase, you'll see the little, the, the smaller phrase, the day. And that speaks of the day when God will bring history as we know it to completion and he will usher us into an entirely new existence. It's called eternity. And, and while we often use the phrase judgment day to speak of that day, and, and that's entirely right, God will, as judge, pronounce a verdict an eternal verdict for every single human being on that day, either welcome home, welcome into heaven, or depart into what the Bible very clearly names as hell. Here's the point I want you to see. For the Christian, for the person who has put their trust in Christ and has received forgiveness full and free, and has received the gift of eternal life, that day, the day, will be a day of great joy. In fact, let me just give you a brief little sample of how the Bible speaks about this. Listen, this is Paul in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For the Christian, it will be a day of great joy. Or I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And he's speaking to Christians here, and he says, then, then each one will receive his commendation from God. For the Christian, it will be a day of great joy. Or I think about how that short letter of Jude ends now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. For the Christian, it will be a thing of joy, a time of joy. Christian, rejoice in this. This is our hope as Christians. That is our confident expectation of good things to come. That's what hope is. Remember, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Hope is not just kind of crossing your fingers, wishing. No, hope is the confident expectation of good things to come. What a thing to be encouraged about and to encourage one another about, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, that is the whole point of that wonderful passage in 1 Thessalonians that we're going we're gonna to get to see a little later this year. Where, where Paul talks about what will happen to those who have already died in Christ, and then he talks about what will happen to those Christians who are still alive when Jesus returns, and we will all be together with him, and having reminded us of that truth. Do you remember what he says? Encourage one another with these words. You know, at one point, Jesus said, 
as time goes by, and it gets closer to that day, here's what he says, many false prophets will arise and will lead many astray. And because wickedness is multiplied, the love of many will grow cold. That's why we need to encourage one another. Because our lives are headed somewhere, we're on a journey, and there is something at stake, but for the Christian, there is great reason to be encouraged because of what's ahead. You know, we can be so occupied with the things of this world, can't we? We need to deliberately and regularly remind ourselves and one another that there is something far greater, far weightier, than the here and now. As Christians, we we are always at risk of losing sight of what's ahead. And I think, quite honestly, it's just getting easier and easier for that to happen, for us to lose sight of that. I mean, just one thing, for example, life expectancy just keeps increasing. In the 1700s, average life expectancy was 35 years. Now, it's right next to 80 years. In the 1700s, half of your children would have died before the age of 10. Think of it. Now, I am very thankful, so very thankful for advances in medicine, but it's just one more thing that makes it easier for us to lose sight of that reality that day. That's why the story, Pilgrim's Progress, is so powerful to me. The whole thing is a journey toward heaven, what Bunyan calls the celestial city, It's all moving toward heaven. That's what the title is getting at. It's Pilgrim's Progress. It's always the destination in mind. It's it's there to where the road is going. That's the greatly desired goal of the Christian life. Listen, that's who we are as a church. We are a collection of people helping one another on our way to heaven. At least that's what God wants us to be. And how do we do that? How do we help ourselves and one another live for eternal things and not just for now? Well, we we read our Bibles, which speak over and over again of heaven. And when we encounter that in our Bibles, we dwell on it, we meditate on it, and we let it dwell in us. And then we speak to one another out of the overflow of our own encouragement about this sweet truth. And then we gather together and we sing together about being with God forever, seeing Him and all around us, everything, just absolute perfection. You know, it is so hard for us to imagine just how good heaven will be. We will be with God. We will be with Jesus. There will be no sin, not a trace of remaining enmity or coldness of heart or bitterness or desire for revenge or any selfishness, nothing at all to hinder our love for God and our love for one another, nothing at all to hinder our joy. Every action will be perfect. All things will flourish in an eternal youth. No death, no tears, no pain, no hypocrisy, No instance of foolishness or misunderstanding. No division between people of differing opinions. All will be well, everything. We have no idea. 
We will enjoy God and we will enjoy one another and we will enjoy the new creation. What joy will be in our hearts after having made it through this often wearisome pilgrimage and being brought into absolute perfection. We need to help one another get our eyes up and out on that horizon so that we can live now in light of that reality. We need to encourage one another in that way. Friends, it is so easy for our imaginations to be taken up with movies or sports or smartphones or endless online shopping or you fill in the blank. We need to encourage one another with truth and all the more as we see the day approaching. Last Sunday, at the close of the sermon, we heard a wonderful quote from Charles Spurgeon. Let me close this morning with another one. This is from his autobiography, where he's describing his own pastoral ministry, but he's speaking to his church. Here's what Spurgeon says. I am occupied in my small way as Mr. Greatheart was employed in Bunyan's book. He's talking about Pilgrim's Progress. I do not compare myself with that champion, but I am in the same line of business. I am engaged in personally conducted tours to heaven. And I have with me at the present time, dear old Father Honest, I'm glad he is still alive and active. I thought of Harry Rarick. And there is Christiana, and there are her children. I thought of so many young families here at the church, the Cobriggers and the Ames and the Burgoynes and the Fultzes and 50 others. It is my business as best I can to kill dragons and to cut off giants' heads and lead on the timid and the trembling. I am often afraid of losing the weak. I have the heartache for them. But now listen to this. But by God's grace and by your kind and generous help in looking after one another. I would say encouraging one another. I hope we shall all travel safely to the river's edge. Oh, how many I have had to part with there. I have stood on the brink and have heard them singing in the midst of the stream. And I think of Diana Krieger and Jerry Christensen and Paul Schroeder and Barry Adler and Gary Cook and Marianne Rarick and so many others. I have heard them singing in the midst of the stream and have almost seen the shining ones lead them up the hill and through the gates and into the celestial city. Dear friends, loved ones, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray.
Father, once again, we say thank you for speaking to us so clearly. Thank you for your word, for this book, and how it encourages us and teaches us and instructs us. And Lord, having been instructed this morning, I pray you would help us now not to let this fall aside. God, anchor it in us so that there is a faith-filled obedience to what we've heard. God, make us an encouraging people. Not so that we might be thought highly of, but so that your purposes of sustaining us and preserving us and keeping us to the end will be accomplished. God, you use means, and one of the means that you use is the words that we speak to one another. So God, accomplish all your goodwill in us, and we pray that as a result, this church would be faithful in its witness and in its, in its presence, pointing people always, always to Jesus, who alone can save. We thank you for our time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.